Uh, good, good evening, church. Um, we are still in the book of Judges, and so if you want to turn to your Bibles into the book of Judges 4, or you get your devices, have a big-time Christmas message that's actually a bloody mess at the end, so it's not, <laughs> it's not really a, a Christmas story in any way, and actually all the stories in Judges, you really... There no, none of them are a Christmas story by any means. Very brutal, brutal things. But these brutal things are examples to us to use in our lives, and that's what we're going we're gonna to see tonight. This is actually the, I spoke two weeks ago, and this is actually finishing up with Deborah. We only got through uh, seven verses, so we're going to go through eight through 24. I'm going to recap real quickly on what we had the first time. But uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you so much for this evening. God, I thank you for your word that speaks truth in a world of darkness. It's a light unto our feet and just guides and directs us, Lord. God, as we dive in your word, we've had wonderful worship, and now we get to worship in your word. That gives us direction for our heart, peace to our minds. God, I just ask that your spirit just touches us tonight. That we are open to your correction, that we are in love with you, that we, again, embrace your word and, um, and embrace the calling that you've given us, Lord. Each of us have a calling and a gift. And God, as you reveal those things to us, and as you talk to us, may we respond to them as we always should. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So to recap, Ehud um, dies, and this is all in Israel. Ehud dies, and they fall back into sin, all the Israelites, after Ehud, because they kept their eyes on Ehud. And when he, when he passed away, again, they went into uh, carnal stuff, into sin, just doing their own thing away from God. And because of this, because God is loving, and he wants the people to come back to him, he sends them he sends the Canaanites against them, and they again fall into bondage. And that's what we keep, again, we see the cycle in the, in the book of Judges. Um, so King Jabin's army um, was, the, was the army that God used, which are the Canaanites, to, to discipline his people. And um, in the, King Jabin is the king, but he has a commander Sisera, who is a very evil, evil commander. And he's the main character for the enemy. And the king is hardly, isn't mentioned really anymore, but um, uh, Sisera is, is the main character of the story for the, the bad guy. And in Sisera being the commander, he has uh, 900 chariots of iron. So basically, he has the tanks of that day and uh, so he had more power than any, anybody around them, especially the Israelites. Israelites weren't, didn't have any iron or anything in, in that time of that day. So they are under, under their attack, and then they finally cry out to God after 20 years of being suppressed by the Canaanites. They finally cry out, and as I said before, they, they didn't have to go through 20 years of this suppression but because they didn't turn to God, the suppression continued on. And a lot of times we do that in our lives. We just get caught up in sin, and we think it's okay, and we're going to just keep going on, and we just keep getting further and further away from God until we finally hit rock bottom at some point, and we turn, out, turn back and we cry out to God. And that's what they finally did. They finally cried out to God. But again, 20 years, 20 years, do we, and, you know, do we need to wait two years, two days, I mean, I, I know for me, I gotta confess daily. And if I don't, it, again, it snowballs down. So God wants us to, to confess, to turn to him, and to cry out to him. And then our hero in the story, this whole thing is Deborah. And we've, we talked a little bit about her last time. She's a judge, but she's a very unique judge because she's a female, number one, but she's a wife, and she calls herself a mother of Israel, 
She's a prophetess, which wasn't normal of the judges, and she was a singer-songwriter, and she judged under a distinct palm tree that was named after her. So out in this desert, there's this one unique palm tree that the people knew that's where Deborah was to go judge. That's where we can get the word of God. That's where we can get true judgment. And um, that's where they were fed. They would go there, they, she would solve disputes, but she would also prophesy and tell them, this is what God wants. God wants you to repent. God wants you to turn to him. God loves you. You know, she would uh, give out God's word to them under this palm tree. Did you know in a Southern California, we have the same thing? There's actually, it's two palm trees that are crossed like this that, that uh, mark a feeding place for us. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you're driving down the road and you get this smell and you're like, especially when you're hungry. If you go near these palm trees, you, you get the smell and you got, you got to have a double-double, right? <laughs> it's just, it's there. In and out is, uh, and it's not all of them, but the older ones. And I, it's funny because when I was going over this message, I, I came across this in an article, but they would take, and uh, the older locations, they take two palm trees and cross them over, and you've seen it on the cup and everything like that. And actually, the one today we were driving by the one in Norco, and I saw that they they have that they have the two palm trees crossed over. So, so next time you're going to In and Out and you see the cross of palm trees, think of Deborah. <laughs> think of the, think of how she was under that palm tree and, and how they could they could see her. Um, and then Barack is the commander that Deborah's Deborah's. God called Barak to command to lead the army against the enemy and to take out um, the Canaanites. So um, Deborah prophesied to Barak. She, she told him, God's commanded you to lead the army. And um, Barak, if you look at him and... Uh, Again, there was no set army in, in Israel at this time. They were under suppression. They had no weapons. They, uh, Barak was, probably was not a, a leader in the army or anything. He was probably just, could have been a farmer or whatever. We're really not told in scripture. But he was called by God to step up and to, to lead. And he had something major to fear. When you're... Number one, you haven't been leading an a, a army or any of, of, of it to any degree. But then he also had the enemy that has 900 iron tanks. And they don't have a weapon. They don't even have shields. They don't have swords. They, they had basically nothing. They probably would fight with their farming equipment. Is the only thing that they had, they had left that, the, that uh, the Canaanites would let them have because they were under their, their rule. So that's where we're at. Ehud, Deborah, I mean, I'm not, not Ehud, it's Sisera, Sisera, and Deborah, and Barak, those three main characters that we looked at last week. So that leads us into chapter 4, verse 8. So I'm going to read 8 and 9 to continue with our story. Barak, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of this course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, but the Lord will deliver Caesarea. I always, I always, you know what I've been going over this? It's always, I think of Susu Studio, <laughs> Phil Collins. <laughs> but it's Cicera. There we go. I got it right. I always want to say Caesarea instead of Cicera, but Cicera, into the hands of a woman. So he's told, he's told, um, he, he tells Deborah, he goes, I'm not going to go into this battle unless you go. And you know what? I can relate completely to, Bar to Barak's fear because he, again, like I said, he had a major task that he was looking for. Even though he was commanded by God through this prophet, prophet, he had major doubts. He's like, I can't do this. There's no way. And he was so fearful about it, you know, these 900 iron chariots and this large army that he would have to go against, 
that he tells, he tells Deborah, you go, you come, and I'll do it. And, she's, and she um, adheres to that. But when you are asked by God or asked by somebody to, or in some way to serve or something like that, you can expect attacks. And you can expect attacks that are going to be real heavy because the enemy wants to discourage you from even starting an army, even starting a resistance against him. And that's what the enemy was doing with Barak. He was attacking him and saying, you can't do this. And Barak, in his fear and in his uh, unbelief, he, he said, you know, hey, I, I can't do this. I need, I need you to do it to help me, Deborah, to help to do this also. When you, again, if, if you commit to something of God, there's gonna be an attack that will try to sweep you off the feet so you won't take, take this. I want you to kind of get that because I'm sure you've, you've tried to say, hey, I'm gonna go to church every Sunday maybe, or hey, I'm gonna serve in this department in the church, or I'm gonna do, maybe, maybe it's giving, you know, I'm gonna really start giving you know, weekly, or whatever God's put on your heart. If you start to make that commitment and do it, um, the enemy is gonna try to take you out from not, he, he does not want that completed. He does not want you to, to serve God or to give to God or to do these things. And he's going to use some of these tactics that I'm going to give to you now. And here's, here's one of the major attacks that Satan will use. And he's used it from the back end of the Garden, uh, garden of Eden from the very beginning. He's going to say, did God really say? Because when you are called and when you um, have been asked to do something, it is from God. And if God puts in your heart saying, yeah, you, this is what I need you to do, and you start taking steps for it, the, the first, one of the first attacks that he's going to say is, is that really from God? Did God really say to you, or did God really tell the pastor that, um, that you're supposed to do this, or you're supposed to be, um, be serving God in this way? Again, from the Garden of Eden, Satan's been peddling that lie, and it works. That's why he keeps doing it over and over again. Because if we question what God has for us in our lives and his word, um, we're all over the place. We are, we are defeated before we even began. And the enemy has a huge victory. How many things, and I'm speaking to myself on this too, how many things have you stepped out of serving God because you start to doubt. You start to doubt if it was truly from God. There's a little opposition, maybe a big opposition. Things happen and it collapses and you just go, well, I wasn't supposed to do that, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm stepping away. The other, thing, the other thing the enemy uses is people. And he can use people outside the church and he can use people inside the church. But unfortunately, a lot of times it's people inside the church because we love to attack each other for some reason. And there's in the New Testament, in the Corinthians and stuff, he, he, uh, Paul addresses this over and over again, that we are to love each other, not to be jealous of, of what people are doing. You start to take on positions in the church, and then people are jealous about it. They're like, oh, well, that, he, why is he doing that? Or why is she doing that? I could do that. You know, they, they don't do it right. And that's all from the enemy. What God wants to put in your heart is to uplift that person that's taken over the class of the, you know, of fourth, fifth, and sixth, let's say, or something like that. Or maybe they're cleaning, you know, when nobody's here. I was here one, me and my dad were here one time, and it was a Monday when they're closed, and there was a servant, and I, I, his name slips my mind, but he was out front cleaning the cement. And I was just like, wow, that's just, you know, so awesome. You know, no, no fanfare, no, not looking for any reward or whatever, but doing God's work and, and doing what uh, God has asked him. So people are going to attack you, and people of the church are going to attack you, and you can expect this. 
and you don't want to retaliate or anything. You pray for them, and you see it, see it for what it is. It's the enemy. It's not really truly that person attacking you. It's Satan attacking through it. So there, there is forgiveness and stuff like that, in that. But I just be aware when you start to take on something of God, you're going to be attacked. And then the other thing the enemy uses is, especially in health and sickness, when health, you're, you get sick and you get tired and stuff like that, he'll really attack you in insecurities and, and say stuff to you like you're not good enough to do this. You shouldn't be serving you, you, in any capacity with God. You just need to sit down and stay, stay away. In fact, uh, I spoke two weeks ago, and I, had, I was really, really sick, and it hit me a couple days before. Then that night, I was just very sick, and I, I couldn't even, it was hard for me to concentrate. I, I can't even really remember what I said much that night. But um, I give the message or whatever, but I went home, and when I went home, I was so dejected, and the enemy was hitting me super hard with that, with the insecurities, that you're not good enough, you look like a fool. And, he, and then I was giving in, I was just like going, yeah, yeah, you're right, you know, and stuff. And, he, and then he said, just, you just need to shut up, just shut up. And I was like, that's right, I do, I need to shut up. I, I, I need to not speak about God or... And not just, not in a setting of this or whatever, but even to my neighbors or whatever. He said, and, and I was, again, I was very sick, but I was also giving in in the flesh, and I was, I was agreeing. I was like, I'm, you're right, I'm not going to speak again. It was, it was a train wreck. It was ridiculous. I'm not going to do it. And he was uh, browbeating me over that, and I was giving into it, and... Um, it was horrible. And then it got to the point where he's all, in fact, you can't even go to church because you made such a fool of yourself. You, people are just going to laugh at you or whatever it might be. And I was believing that. It's like, yeah, you're right. I, I, I can't go to church. And, and after a while, a couple of days, and I uh, started to get a clearer head and praying, praying about it and stuff like that, God was giving me some really good comfort. And I'll tell you what, I, I've never received so many, um, such positive feedback as far as encouragement from people uh, of the church. And I commend many people. And, and God knew what I needed. He knew I needed to hear some uh, very good encouragement because I was so dejected. And he supplied that in a huge way, way more than I've ever, ever received or ever expected. But God also gave me comfort through his word. And... He said, when Satan was saying, just shut up, when I started getting a clear head and I started reading back in the Word, I started to get mad about that. I was like, who are you to tell me to shut up? This is my, my God, my Savior that I love and I care about. I'm going to tell and I'm going to say and I'm going to boldly preach the Word in my neighborhood, at my store, in the church, wherever it might be. Satan has no place to tell me to shut up. Because I'm a child of God. He, oh man, I have so much to say about him because I love him. And he's turned my life around completely. And he, he's grown me in so many ways. It's like, it's like, Satan, you get back. You shut up. You take it out. And, and look at what, look what he, he gave me on this. Jeremiah, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. You can listen to me if you want. But Jeremiah, man, what, talk, talk about a book that's... Jeremiah was a preacher that just was, he didn't have one convert. He was bombarded the whole time, um, but thrown into a pit and all these other things. Um, and it, right before this, the people are basically laughing at him and saying, uh, you know, we're not going to listen to you and so on and so forth. But Jeremiah 20, verse 7 through 9, here's what Jeremiah said. It says, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more of his name, his word is, is, his word is in me, is in my heart, I'm sorry, his word is in my heart like a fire. This is godly heart, heartburn right here. You don't want to take tongues for this. When you have God's fire inside you, this is a good heartburn. So that's, that, this, is what, this is what he's saying, that 
I will not mention his word. He, he was so frustrated with what was going on. He goes, I'm not going to mention your word anymore. I'm not going to talk about it because all they're doing is, is berating me and they're actually attacking me for speaking your word. But he says, his word in me was like a fire. And then it goes on, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He said, even though I'm getting attacked, even though... Uh, people aren't believing the message that I've been giving out. I'm, I, you know, I'm going to try to keep it in. I'm going to not tell anybody. But he said it was just like a fire. He said I, I had to let it out. And look at when you start to see through God's eyes, and you see your neighbor, and you see those people that are dying and just lost and don't know where they're going. It's a fire. You got to let it out. You got to tell them the truth. You got to tell them. Um, you can't just let them go off the cliff and die. God changes it, changes your heart and changes you, and you, you've got to give it out. The other thing he, he, uh, God gave me, it says, you know, you look like a fool when you're up there. Uh, he gave me this verse for that. as uh, 1 Corinthians 4.10, and this is what Paul said, we are fools for Christ. So who cares? That's what Paul says. You know what? Is it really that important what someone thinks of you? I had those insecurities in junior high. I remember it was, I was a closet Christian because I was so afraid to tell. And, and that was my worst school years because I was you know, one foot in, one foot out, and I wasn't, wasn't bold um, um, because I gave in to those securities of what the enemy was, talking, was attacking, me, attacking me about and attacking, um, and I was giving into it, like I said. So it's okay. Be a fool for Christ. That's what, that's what Paul says. Don't worry about your image. Don't worry about what people think of you. Don't worry about if you're doing what God tells you to do, just let it out. Just speak it. Let God's spirit go where it's supposed to go and let, let God change the things that he's, he wants to change in you and change around you. We get so caught up in, um, well, I do. I, I mean, I get so caught up in so many things that just... Um, don't matter, you know. Uh, uh, you know what I dress, or what you know how I look, or, or you know how this person's going to think of me. The person walks away; they don't think about me again, you know. And we, it's, that's stupid in my own head, you know. Thinking, oh yeah, that person's going to go home and really, think, oh what did, you know, what did Craig think of this, or what are, you know? That's that's dumb. So why not? Why not let out the gospel? Why not speak boldly about Christ? What do you got to lose? Really, what do you have to lose? And again, Satan wants to shut you up, and that should make you mad. You know, as Christians, we should want to take out that enemy that wants to shut us up and stop us from uh, putting out the things that God wants, wants to. So how do you overcome these things? How do you overcome these attacks? You overcome these attacks by faith. Faith is, is exactly how you um, overcome it. Hebrews 10, 38 through 39. Listen to this part. This is right before the, the uh, in Hebrews 11 is the Faith Hall of Fame, which we'll talk about in just a second. But this is right before, and here's what he says in 10, Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. But my righteous will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and that are saved. Do you understand that? Did you hear that? God says, I take no pleasure in the one that shrinks back. So he's, he says, I've given you a command. I say, go forward. And that's the one he takes pleasure in. How do we please God? Through faith, right? And when you start attacking or you start doing a service for God and then you shrink back and you say, oh, I can't do it, I can't. I, God takes no pleasure in that. God says, that's not, what, that's not me. You're listening to the enemy. You, you've got it all wrong. You need to listen to me, and then you'll have the faith to those that are saved. And, and, and if you know Christ, you're saved, and it's a beautiful thing. We have God that lives in us. Can we ask, is there any more power that we can ask for? Is there anything greater than we can have that, than God inside us? That's, there is, there's nothing. 
God inside us is amazing if you, if you just let him work, work that faith in you. The enemy strips our faith and will shrink, us ba- will shrink us back, give up, and be defeated if we let him. Um, I told you I was going through a hard time after that a couple, from a couple weeks ago and stuff. And God was working on my faith and I kept, I've been asking him, just increase my faith, God. Just increase my faith. And he's putting me through the test through those, but he is increasing my faith. And I tell you what, it was the cherry on top on Sunday because pastor spoke in Matthew 14 in a beautiful message and it was on faith. And one of the great things on that message was that he, had, he said Jesus was on that mountain praying for his disciples while they're in the midst of the storm because he knew that, or yeah, in the midst of the storm, he knew that was coming and what they were going to be testing and being tested through. And I pictured Jesus praying for me on the mountain, you know, just, and that's what he does. He, he wants our faith to be so strong and so adamant that we are not dissuaded by the things of the world or dissuaded by the enemy. And this, catch this, this is the other thing about faith, that he wants to keep our faith in him. Because you know what I was putting my faith into, and I do too often? I put my faith in myself. I say, oh, God's called me to this or whatever. I better do good. Or I better make, you know, make sure I have this. Or I better, I, I, I switch it around. I say, it's about me. It's about putting my faith in me. And God was revealing that to me. He's like, put your faith in me. I want to take you above anything you can do. My talents are useless, really. They truly are compared to what uh, God working through me. And that's the same thing with you. The talents that we've been given, if they're used to glorify ourselves, useless. Waste of time. But if they're used to glorify the maker that made those and put those talents in you, beautiful. And it becomes something that we had no idea that it could have been way beyond us. I've, when I've stepped in faith and I've seen God do things out of faith in him, I, I, it's, it's through Royal Family Kids Camp that me and my wife have served in, um, through some young people and stuff, just some beautiful, amazing thing. Coworkers, I've seen, uh, I've got to lead people to Christ and way out of my comfort zone but it was just giving in to God and having that faith in him, not myself. So again, when you serve and when you're being asked, don't put it back on yourself and say, well, I can't do that. That's, you know, that's way beyond me. That's whatever. If God's calling you to that, he wants to stretch you and grow you into that position. And that's giving in and having the faith and letting him do it and be used by him. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. And guess who's in the hall of faith? Well, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Moses, huge heroes from the Bible that we know of. But then as the writer goes on and he gets to 1132, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time with all these people. And then he throws in these, these people from the book of Judges, Gideon, which you're coming up to, and Gideon's an awesome, awesome leader and stuff. It's a great story. I love Gideon. And then Barak is next, and then Samson. And you guys probably know a lot about Samson stuff. But Barak is in the hall of faith, which is amazing. This guy that um, isn't going to go to war unless this, wo- this woman, Deborah, goes with him. It seems like he shouldn't be in the hall of faith. It seems like Deborah should be in the hall of faith, right? Abraham and Sarah, uh, uh, Abraham, yeah, Abraham and Sarah are, are in, the, in the hall of faith, but Deborah's not. And I, I, that's odd. I was thinking about that. And, I was, and I, again, I was, Barack, why would Barack be in the hall of faith? Well, as, you goes, as it goes on, uh, we were in 32 with that. Hebrews eleven thirty four. listen to what it says. This is why I believe Barak and Gideon were both in it, because it says, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Gideon was just like Barak in the beginning. Gideon did not feel strong enough to be called. He says, I'm not a warrior. I can't do this. And God changed him. 
And same with Barak. Barak felt the same way at first, but God changed his weakness. God wants to take our weakness and turn it into an asset for him. 2 Corinthians um, 12 through 7 through 10, Paul writes about his weakness when he has the trouble with his eyes, and he says, in my weakness, he is strong. A verse you probably know well. Um, God wants to take those weak things and turn them into powerful things to, to defeat the enemy. And it's pretty crazy because we got, I got a lot of weakness in me. So in turn, it could be a lot of powerful things that can come out of me if I let God reverse those things, all those weak insecurities or all those things I'm not sure about or the lack of faith or whatever it might be. God can use that and God wants to use that. And that's what he did with with Barak, God wants to take that weakness um, and nothing we could do but something that only he could do, again, out of our comfort zone and, and make it strong. Barak's faith, Barak's faith was weak, but Deborah's was strong. As we can see, Deborah already had that down. She was like, I'm ready. She goes, let's go. You know, you say you need, it, you need me? Okay, let's do it. But if we're gonna do it this way, I just want you to know that you are not gonna make the winning play. You're gonna be a major player in the game. You're gonna have some, and we'll see, he's gonna have some major things that happen, but you're not gonna be, you're not gonna make the winning play. You're not gonna have this, that's gonna be taken away from you. And that's why we don't wanna lack in faith. Um, so Judges 4.10, There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went under his command. Deborah, Deborah also went with him. So Barak's faith is boosted by Deborah's, turned, and his faith turned into action. Strong faith, listen to this, strong faith, it spreads quickly with words from, from words to action. There's nothing more exciting when someone has really strong faith and starts taking off for God and you start to see things happen. The church all of a sudden becomes alive because they're like, what's happening over there? There's a great story, and the women's, women's things had that where, uh, um, oh, shoot, his, uh, his name just slipped my mind. I didn't have this in my notes, but it, it just kind of came to my head. Um, David, not David, but... Uh, his, <laughs> help, help, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> let me come, let me see if I can come up with it. Um, Saul's son, Jonathan, there we go. Okay, now we're here. Jonathan, um, Saul was under a tree with his troops, just resting, taking it easy. And Jonathan was with his arm bearer. And he's all like, the Philistines are up on the hill there. If God's in it, we're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to attack, and he climbs up this, the side of this uh, mountain, basically, to the top, with just his arm bearer, and he starts fighting, and he's killing Philistines right and left. And then all of a sudden, Saul's all like, what, what's going on up there? Because the dust and all this stuff. And, and they say, well, who's missing? And they find out it's Jonathan that's missing and stuff. And this faith that this one man had and started killing the enemy awoke this whole army that was just resting under tree for days, you know, just taking, taking it easy. And they joined the battle and they ended up wiping out the Philistines. And that's what can happen in a church with just one person taking the faith and actually starting to start a scuffle against the enemy. And then people will see that around them. And that strong faith spreads quickly. That's actually a good thing when, uh, you know, like a good disease as faith grows, grows and it spreads around and becomes stronger, can you imagine what God could do through you, through this church, through the things if, if we just, again, like Jesus said, you know, faith of a mustard seed, just that tiny little bit of faith and how much he could, he could um, defeat the enemy and the big things that he could do out of it. Verse 11, now, that, now Heber, Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendant of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree 
and Zananium near Kadesh. So now we, we got all these characters, and now in verse 11, all of a sudden, we got another person just thrown in there, and it seems kind of random, but um, this story comes, there's a reason why he tells us this part as the story comes out to play. But Heber the Kenite was part of the Israelites, but he ended up moving, moving out. And Judges 1.16 actually tells us a little bit about uh, the Kenites uh, making a move. And, um, but he moved closer to the enemy. He moved out of the city and closer to the enemy. And what I see in this, because there's many, on the commentaries, there's many things. They're not sure why he moved. They think maybe he worked with iron in this stuff. But what I see is why he moved was God was moving his chess pieces into place of what he was doing. It was God's providence, God's will to move this man away from the Israelites and towards the Canaanites. And as, as God moved him, he picked a place that had a, a landmarker, kind of like Deborah's palm, but it was a great tree was the landmarker. And he's all like, that's where I'm gonna pitch my tent. That's where I'm gonna live. And so by this great tree, is where his, his uh, house was. And this great tree is actually mentioned in Joshua 19.33 also, just, just for a side note, and it was a boundary marker for the Canaanites and for Israelites. So this must have been a really impressive tree, a real massive tree. So this man takes his family and they move there. Uh, verses 12 and 13. When they told Sisera that Barak's son of Abinam had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera summoned from Herosheth Hagoim, <laughs> that's pretty close, I think, to the Kishon River, all his men and his 900 chariots with iron. So Hebar, Heber moved close to the Canaanites, and then we're told in verse 12, he tells Sisera, uh, his own people, he kind of tells against his own people, he's, he tells them, hey, the Israelites are moving up into war, up, into, up, up by the, the river up here, and the Kishon River, and he tells them they're going to be trying to fight against you. So he kind of rats them out. And so again, you say, why would God move him there and, and have this happen? Well, this, again, this is all God's, God's plan, as, you, as, as we'll see. So Sisera, here's this information, and he, all of a sudden, Sisera is, is even more confident than normal. He's excited. He's all like, oh, these Israelites are so stupid. They're moving up here with their pitchforks or whatever they have, and I have my 900 chariots. And he says, they're sitting ducks. The, the river's going to trap them in. They're going to have nowhere to go. And my God, my, my God, Sisera's God was Bel. And he's, he's just saying, hey, my God is the God of storms, God of the river, all these things. So he's, he's making this so that I can take these people and just wipe them out, finally get rid of them and take care of them. So the enemy is confident in saying, I'm going to finally take them out. They, they think they're going to come against me. Not going to happen. And... It's the dry season. He's got his 900 chariots, and he's all like, I'm taking all of them. I'm going to make sure I wipe them out. So he takes all his resources, all 900 chariots, and brings on the attack. And then verse 14, then Deborah said to, to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabar with 10,000 men, following him. I, when I was reading this, this is, this is a, an awesome part about this on verse, on verse 14. Deborah, this great woman of faith, says, this is the day. This is the day. A great statement of faith. Best thing to hear while you're serving God. You're doing all this preparation for, for battle and stuff, but when you hear this is, this is the day. You, it's go time. It, it's, it's saying, this is the time that God has given us. And that's a statement of faith when you say, this is the day. Psalms 118.24 says, this is the day which the Lord hath made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. 
God wants, us to, God wants to lead us in a victory every day. I got up the other morning, it was a, a Sunday morning, and I was finally over my sickness and stuff, and I, and I was up early, and the, our side window has the sunrise, and the sun was starting to come up, and it was just so beautiful, and the clouds, and you know, had the red and the orange and all in it, and just praising God f- for the, the day. And that's what God wants us to do every day, to say, this is the day that you made, God. This is your day, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to let you guide and direct. And when we do that, God will lead us to victory, and not only on the big, big days like this. He wants to do it every day, so he takes the, we get the little victories each day, so it leads up to the big victory eventually. But we have to give in and give it to him. We got to say, this is, this is your day, God. Um, this, is, this is the day that um, you have made. But too often what we do, and this is in my life, is we get up and we say, oh, another day, oh, the same old thing. And instead of saying, this is the day, we say, not today. <laughs> oh, sorry, Lord, not today. I just, I'm not feeling it. I, I, and then your faith is gone and you say, today is all about me. And it's going to be all, all, everything that I want to do and nothing what God wants to do in me. And what a change of events that God does not want for you. And it's not even good for you. Listen, I came across this in Lamentations 1.5. And this fits so perfectly in this. Listen to this. It says, her foes became her master. Her enemies are at ease. And her is, is Israel, so... But Israel's foes became her master, her enemies, and her ease. But you can switch for Israel to you, and it can be that your foes became your masters, your enemies are at ease. When you say not today, instead of this is the day, you're giving over to your foes, the enemy. And the enemy becomes your master, plots your day out, anything, anything anti to God, and the enemy is kicked back, and the enemy is not fearful of you. That's what it's saying here in Lamentation. Her enemies are at ease. Her enemies are just like, so that's Satan. That's the devil saying, hey, I don't have to worry about Craig today. He said, not today. He said, God, sorry, not today. I can, I'm at ease. In fact, I can just you know, throw some, some things, that, you know, some ideas for him to do that are just going to rebel against God, and it's going to be a kickback day. But if I step up and I say, this is the day, the enemy is all of a sudden alert, and then, and then they might hopefully get back on their heels, and, I, and I'm taking and conquering territory for God. A whole different thing and a whole different way to say it, to, to see it. God wants us to say, this is the day. This is the day that he has made daily so he can have his victories in our life. So uh, verses 15 and 16. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Caesarea, Sisera, I'm sorry, and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. So... Barak, look at the beginning of that in 15. Uh, let me find it. At Barak's advance. At Barak's advance. So Barak has faith in God, and he says, this is the day, okay? And his faith is strong. This is why he's in the hall of faith, because all of a sudden it's, it's super strong, he says, and it's by his advance, catch this, it's by his advance that the Lord routed Sisera, do you get that? The enemy was routed and taken out because Barak advanced. He, in faith, he moved in what God had said. God, if we don't advance, if we don't take what God has told us to do, he could use somebody else, yes, but a lot of times God just won't. Remember, Jesus was in his hometown in, uh, in Galilee, and he said, I would, 
there would have been more healing and more stuff, but there's, there's no faith. There's a lack of faith, and I can't do anymore. And Barak's, because Barak said in faith, he goes, God is moving, and he started to move. It says God moved behind him and, and took out the enemy. And that's what God wants you to do in faith, to move, not just sit, not just wait or, or you know, oh, well, somebody else is supposed to do it or something else. God wants you to move in, to move in faith and, and to, route, to route the enemy. God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. That's Ezekiel twenty two thirty. The enemy was routed, and we're not told here all 900 chariots um, become useless because of... Um, in Deborah's song in chapter of, of, of five, verses four and five, it's, it, it gives us what happened. And what happened when they were up there with their 900 chariots, God all of a sudden, uh, dry season, and the storm came out of nowhere and quickly, and rain came down like no other, and it says that the mountains were lightning as bad as when Moses was on Sinai, so it was a major storm all of a sudden, and it said the Kishon River actually uh, got so swollen that it started uh, taking the chariots and floating them down. So those 900 chariots that, that Sisera put his faith into were all of a sudden just 900 useless garbage. <laughs> Had nothing to do. They were stuck in the mud. They could not move. And his whole defense system, his whole attacking system was taken out really quickly. Psalms 27, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Think about that. What protects the USA? If you put your trust in our Navy, Army, uh, our nuclear bombs, you're, you're sadly mistaken. Because those things can be taken out in a minute. That's trusting in chariots. That's trusting in things that are man-made and think that we are secure because we've done these great things or whatever it might be. And God bless that we have a, a, a great defense and the, the things that he's given us. But that's not where my trust lies in this country at all. Not even close. My trust is in the Lord God. God gave us this country, and this country has done some miraculous things for him and stuff, but it, it's only gonna be, um, it's only gonna be the US of A as long as God wants it to be. And that's the person that we need to trust into, trust into. Not, not the things, not the defenses, not the things of, of, not the chariots that we think are so great. It's gotta be the Lord our God. Bell was exposed and that he is no God at all. All of a sudden, and just think, Cicero was, got to this point in the, in the river, and he was, um, all of a sudden the storm and the rivers you know, rising and stuff, and he, he was thinking, what's going on? Our God is against us. Baal, his God, you know, the God of the river, the God of the storms, it's against us. What are we gonna, you know, he's thinking, you know, how did we make him mad? But it wasn't his God. It was exposed that the true one God was taking care of, of his people. And they, be, they began to wipe them out. Verse, uh, our Barak wiping out all the enemy. Barak was having a heyday. They were caught in there, and his army of 10,000 that were following him began to wipe them out. And he, as he was wiping them out, uh, he noticed that uh, Cicero was missing. Um, so the main enemy, he, even though he was wiping all these things out, he was still looking for the main enemy. And verse 17, that leads us into verse 17. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of the Heber, Heber Kenite, because they were, there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazar, and the family of the Heber the Kenite. So... Sisera takes off from, his, from the chariots that are stuck and his army's being wiped out and he just takes off scared and trying to get away and trying to save himself. And as he's running back to, the, to Canaan, 
where he lives in the Canaanites, um, he sees this big tree, the marker that, that there, and I'm, I could just picture um, as he's running, he's thinking, like, if I could just get to that tree, at least, you know, he's got the enemy behind him, but uh, he's getting really tired, and he knows he can't make it all the way to Canaan, Canaan, Canaan and uh, he sees this big tree, and he says, uh, maybe there I can have safety, and when he, when he does reach it, he recognizes the tent that Heber lived in, and that's the one who told him where the, where, uh, the Israelites was going to be. So they had a trusted alliance, and he thinks, well, this is a safe place for me to be. This is where I, where I can um, get, get some rest, and I can be safe. And verse 18, 18 through 20, as we go on with this story, J.L., went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I am thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened up a skin of milk and gave him to drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he said to her. If someone comes by, and ask you, is anyone there? Say no. So she invites him in, and she gives him a blanket. At first I think, why would he want a blanket? He's running, and he's, but it's raining and storming, so he's probably actually really cold. So Heber's wife gives, gives him a blanket, and then she gives him some milk. And milk back then, they didn't have refrigerators and stuff. Milk back then was basically stored in a jar that was covered, and it was almost like a cottage cheese that was warm, a warm milk. It's just kind of really gross, um, thick, warm. Um, yeah, yuck. And then she assures him that, she's, that he's safe, you know, that he's okay. And all these things, you know, just talking about a blanket, warm milk, you know, and so it just makes you sleepy, right? And this is, is, this is what she's, she's um, doing. She's giving him comfort, saying, hey, it's okay, and he's becoming sleepy. And it's, as, he's going, as he's feeling himself going to sleep, he says, just stand at the door and, and don't let anybody in. If anybody comes by, just say, I'm not here. And he feels safe and, and he falls asleep. And then verse 21, but Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him as he lay fast asleep exhausted and here it is she drove the peg through the t through his temple and into the ground and he died there's our christmas story part right <laughs> it's like wow what but this amazing woman and, and in deborah's song she's called an amazing woman this amazing woman embraced her calling she the enemy um this the enemy was um this was the enemy of her people and he was he was a brutal enemy killing her people and she knew that he needed to be taken out and this was her chance this was her chance to take out the enemy and she used the talent that god given her had given her the women in those days they were the ones who set up the tents they would they would um drive the spikes in and and um, that was her normal thing that's what she would do I was thinking that was probably a good thing. Me and, we went to Spirit West Coast, me and my wife, uh, years ago, and I had never set up a tent and stuff. And so I set up the tent, and I should have had my wife do it because we heard people laughing and stuff, and we were like, what? And it, it got windy. And the next morning I got up, and the piece that was, I think it was supposed to be on the bottom or something, was on the top, and it looked like a flag blowing in the wind, that, this base of the tent and stuff. You know, it was just, it was done backwards. It was done wrong. And uh, yeah, so we don't, do tent camping that much anymore. But, but that's what she, this was her skill, and this is what she did. And she used what God's, the skill that she had given, that God had given her to take out the enemy. And it sounds gruesome, it sounds in a way, but she took the enemy out. What God wants us to get from this, she took out the enemy completely. You know, I, when I was thinking about this, how she embraced her calling and did something like Deborah, something strong faith and um, 
but done it, she did it kind of in private and wasn't, wasn't known. I was thinking the Deborah here at Living Truth that's like that is Sumi, our snack lady. I love, I love Sumi, the snack lady. Not because she gives good snacks and stuff, and it's not just because of the food, but because she's joyful, and she's so happy, and she's just um, happy to serve you and just always here. And as I was thinking about that, there was one, I think it was a Sunday morning with the donuts, and I was walking by the kitchen, and she was in there, and she's like singing praise songs and by herself and cleaning up and stuff, and just serving God and being the, the Deborah that God had called her to be. And I was thinking, you know what? If she would have called me in there and would have said, hey, Craig, look what I have, look what I, look what I have in here. And if I looked in there, um, and this is what God was giving me a, a kind of a vision of, that she would have Sisera, the, him on the ground with a spike through his head pinned down. And what I mean with that, Catch what I mean with that. She would have had, she had the enemy dead. She took out, she takes out the enemy in that, in that kitchen by herself, by serving us and serving the people. Because when that enemy is defeated in that way, because of the love that she brings and the fellowship that God wants to bring, the enemy has no place. It's all of a sudden dead. And it's just because of the the, the act of kindness of that she's doing in this way that's far that we don't see, um, that's out of, out of our sight. And it's such a beautiful thing to think about, not the, the spike through the head, but it's a beautiful thing to think about. This little snack girl, <laughs> Sumi, you know, defeating the enemy um, greatly in such a big way. Amazing, amazing woman. We got so many Deborahs in here. It's, 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 um, it's beautiful to see, see them in their service to God. And then verse 22. Just then, Barak came by in, in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man that you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay um, Sisera with the tent peg through his temple. So here comes, look at, notice it says, just then. So right after she did this, here's Barack, man, probably all charged up. He's like, man, I'm taking out the enemy. You know, I just, I'm ready to take out the enemy, uh, taking out the leader and stuff, you know, make the big play. And he gets there, and here comes JL. She's all, hey, you want to see the man you're looking for? And he's all, yeah, yeah. You know, he's probably thinking, yeah, now I got him. And he goes in the tent, and he, she's all, game, set, and match. I took care of him. You don't have, you don't have to do anything. And the glory went to, her, went to her, just like God said would happen, because Barak didn't have the faith that God wanted him to use to take out the enemy completely, even the commander. But because he didn't have that faith, God used another servant, a, a beautiful, again, a beautiful woman that stood up and took, and took care of him in a brutal way. But that's what God wants us to do. The enemy is brutal. He wants us to take out Satan. He wants us to take out that foe. That, um, that holds us into hostage and, um, and completely. And then verse 23 through 24, we'll finish up. On that day, again, on that day, like this is the day, God subdued Jabin, king of, the, of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they, until they destroyed him. So God used, catch this, again, like I said, faith is catchy. God used all the Israel, all of Israel to complete their freedom from the enemy. Uh, after Sisera was taken out, uh, it says the Israelites came together and then they took out Jabin, the king. So it even, again, all of them started to use their gifts as that faith was, was um, as that faith was catching, onto, catching fire onto the whole group. Listen, church, if, put, your faith, put your faith in him and do what he has called you to do and then watch him destroy the enemy. That's what he wants to do with us. He wants us to put our faith in him and just catch a little fire and then we can see what God will do, not just through you, but through the person next to you 
and then the person behind you, this whole group actually having faith that God has called us to reach Corona, to reach our family, to reach our friends, to get them out of this bondage, this, this Sisera character that's just going to completely take all your joy away and take everything that God has for, has for you. God wants you to take, take that out and to have faith in him. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you for this example that you've given us um, through Judges. God, I ask that we take it to heart, that we look at what you've called us to do, and we don't shy away from it. You tell us not to back away, but to actually accept it and to step forward in faith and to attack. God, I ask that we're a church that attacks the enemy, that we are not a church that where the foe is just kicking back and says, well, we don't have to worry about living truth because, you know, really not much going on there. Nothing, nothing that we have to be afraid of. God, may we be on their radar where they're saying, man, we got to really, really start doing something over there at Living Truth because they, the faith is just getting overwhelming. It's getting catchy, and the people are turning turning to their God, and they're asking for him to uh, just bring on some major victories. God, I know you want to work through each and every one, everyone in here that knows you. And God, I ask you to do it in a big way. I pray that you increase my faith. I, incre- I pray that you increase their faith, Lord. And as, as we go through this week, and they get recalled, they recall on some of those attacks that um, I talked about today, that they see it's the enemy and that they turn to you and they don't give in to what the enemy has to say. God, strengthen us, grow us, and just be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.